You know what I've missed most about sports since we've been sheltering in place? Just going to a spot and watching a game with friends. It's just not the same watching it at home. Even when the Warriors are winning, I just, it's just not the same. But luckily, the Athletic Club Oakland, they've got our back. Did you know they shut down the entire side street next to them just to create the town gardens? The spot is amazing. It's got TVs everywhere, comfortable seating. It's got their full food and bar service. I mean, this place is dope. I went the other day with Bram, and officially, it's our go-to spot for all sports, especially the dubs. So hopefully we'll see you there. And as a special thank you, if I see you wearing a Warriors Huddle shirt, next beer is on me. The Athletic Club Oakland. That's where sports fans can finally be sports fans again. What's up, everybody? This is Maxime from the future. I wanted to give you a heads up about a couple of things. The first is that Bram and I take a few minutes up front to process the end of the Warriors season and share some glass half full optimism for the coming year. So if you're still too depressed by the results of the plan, you can jump ahead to when Connor joins us at minute 14. And if you're just here for the Paul George trade, you can go ahead and skip forward to about the 19 minute mark. I also wanted to let you know that the last episode was the last time we're going to employ the beep machine. From here on out, you can expect all four letter words to come through loud and clear, so consider yourself warned. With all that said, feel free to jump around or start from the top. However you choose to listen, thanks for joining us, and as always, go Dubs. I've seen Clay Draymond and Steph together. I, if those three guys are on the floor together, I'm not afraid of any team in the NBA. We're going to bring y'all to our huddle. You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram. No MT, at least in our initial segment here today, but with me per usual, my master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? It is going strangely, man. So I am sick as fuck um, before anybody turns this podcast off, worried that they might catch COVID. It's not that. I don't have <laughs> Corona. My kid got sick last week. Had her tested. Uh, it was all good, but I picked up something from her. So if I just stop making sense, like even more so than I normally stop making sense in this pod, per, like cover for me, Maxime. You know what I mean? Like play like horns or something on the sides of the audience can't uh, catch it. I don't know. Whatever you can do. I got you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. And I am also still pretty distracted, still all pissy about this Memphis loss. In fact, Connor is joining us today. He'll be hopping on at the same time MT is. And what we'll be looking at is the future of the Warriors because it is crazy bright and there's all these things to get fired up for and be happy for. But I wanted to talk to you right up front here because we got to have some kind of cathartic session. dude. We got to talk about the Memphis thing so that at least I can finally move on and let's do it in the setting of a glass half full. But let me just throw you a softball first. How have you been, right? So today, what? Today's Tuesday. The game is on Friday. It's been a long time. So as of right now, how are you feeling about the Warriors, just generally speaking? Ah, man, you know, I'm... I'm feeling pretty, uh, I have a lot of malaise. Um, and it's interesting that you said about the Warriors because I tend to be, um, in general, a glass half full person. You know, I'm pretty optimistic. It I bothers think- me. It always annoys me. <laughs> yes, I've noticed that. And it bothers me on an almost weekly basis. I, and I work hard to maintain that image specifically to piss you off. 
I appreciate that. No, and the fact that you said that also bothers me. But go ahead. I mean, wherever you're going. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's the optimisticness definitely um, pervades in the context of like the Warriors' future. You know, like Clay just posted an Instagram post of him in his wetsuit swimming in the bay, calling himself <laughs> a future triathlete. Like all of that bodes well. You know, it takes a certain amount of competitive energy to want to do that. You know, he's still got the fire. It's a very bright future, right? Bob Myers was talking about the extensive exit interviews with um, Steph and Draymond, reminding them that Clay's coming, saying things like, with those three, I'm not worried about anybody in the league. Like you said, there's reason to be excited about the future. What is not been working for me honestly is just basketball i i have not been able to watch a game i just i can't bring myself to do it it's i will get there i love the sport it's not just about the warriors for me though my fandom lies with the warriors but it was just such a heartbreaking exit that i'm not ready yet to jump back into that world we're gonna go through all the heartbreakingness of it right in two seconds here but i at least want to talk about that clay ig post because i saw the same thing and what i saw was two images um there's one image of him strapping up into a wetsuit and then the next image is him i don't know maybe 15 16 yards away from whatever boat that he was on and he's no longer swimming he's just in the water looking back posing for the shot and what stuck out to me do you know what kind of a pain in the ass it is to swim in the bay how fucking cold it is like all the logistics that you have to do to do that so generally speaking if you're going for that you know if you're if you're joining the polar bear club and and getting out there and swimming you're swimming for like miles you know what i mean like you take that first picture and then you you swim to like alcatraz or something from what i could tell clay did all of that hopped in the water swam for about three minutes took a picture was like i'm cool that that is all i need which is such a great clay thing um but let's Let's wade through it. So glass half full. We look back at recent history. For us, that's only one game. And pull out some things we liked and didn't like. Um, and for real obvious reasons. You know, we're talking about Memphis here, and we got to start with the stuff we don't. Here's something I don't like. I hate that the Warriors beat themselves, Maxime. I'm, uh. I'm totally fine if Memphis beat them. You know, like that is what it is. But the turnovers drove me crazy. And we're not just talking about run-of-the-mill turnovers. We're talking about stupid ass, no reason, trying to force backdoor passes or being unnecessarily lazy with the ball. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't stand it, man. It made me feel like my face was going to explode. Um, I hate, and Wes kind of called this, I hate that we kind of got screwed on the play-in seeding. If we had gone into this tournament as the ninth seed, as opposed to the eighth seed, and didn't have to go through like a blood feud war, seventh game kind of playoff intensity matchup with LA, and instead had played San Antonio, we would have been way easier set up for that Memphis game. So I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like that Grayson Allen played a role in beating us, dude. Uh, When's the last time you've even thought about Grayson Allen? When he came out, I was like, is that a Disney bully? Like, where the hell did he? And then once I recognized him, he was hitting two threes in the overtime. Uh, I hate that I can't root for John ja Morant. So uh, this entire year, his entire career, we're talking like two years. He's this young, enticing, exciting player that I kind of like to check in on. You know, I mean, I enjoyed his highlights. I'm pretty sure that's done for me now. I don't think I can ever watch any of his games because I am that neurotic and I'll never forgive him for beating us. And I'm stealing this from you, but I can't get back into basketball right now. I love playoff basketball, Maxime. It's like my favorite television Uh, so far. It's been three days. I've been reading about all the matchups. I tried to turn it on, and it, it, it was like watching like an ex-girlfriend or something do really well. Like I just I couldn't 
handle it. And here's something that is probably not appropriate to say, but another thing that I want to call out, we did a podcast right before, and I did one with Wes. And during that podcast, I ended up randomly speaking to a Memphis podcast host and talk some shit to him. I hate that that dude's out there somewhere now knowing that I was wrong. I mean, I just, I, I, before we actually talked to the Memphis guy, I made some offhanded joke about how everybody in the Memphis crowd was remarkably fat and white. Then when I talked to that host, I looked him up by the way, and let's just say he fits that description. So I, I hate that like, that he heard that, had me shithouse him, and now is somewhere superior to me being right, dude. So there's a lot of things I didn't like, Maxime. I'm not doing that good, man. This Maybe this is why I got sick. Yeah, dude. I, you know, it totally could be, right? It's like I think that's a thing in, in school. Like after everybody finishes their finals, everybody gets sick because their body's just been holding it off. And I think that totally applies to your situation. Yeah, let's not, let's not dwell on the negatives for too long here. I do think, you know, I, there was a pattern that I felt – um, I'd seen before with those lazy sorts of turnovers. And I, in some ways, I think it speaks to the um, bravado and cockiness that, that is sometimes necessary from, especially Draymond, around like, I got this, I can do anything. When you hit that flow state, when you start to get really comfortable on the basketball court, you're like, oh, I can do anything. That's the kind of energy that you need to actually make a championship run. But the problem was, is if you're missing it, you're missing it big time. Of course, of course. Well, and here, injection of optimism, right? Things I liked. The Warriors were playing with eight guys, Maxime. Eight players to end the year. The run that they went on is nothing short of amazing, and it provided them the exact experience, the exact experience that we wanted them to get. And here's another kind of random one, but I think it's a really good one. All players, every player in the history of the game have a certain amount of minutes that they are going to play. We don't know what that number is, right? You don't know until their career's over, but just practical reality. There is a certain amount of effective minutes that they can put into the league. We'll call it like an odometer. Well, if they had won that game and we start speeding off into a playoff appearance this year, and we all would have wanted it, right? And, and with Utah's lack of success so far, it would have been fun to watch. But I think we all agree Golden State was not winning a title this year. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the talent and they didn't have the depth. It wasn't going to happen. And I think we also all agree that we're not at the end. We're still at the elite portion of Draymond and Steph's odometer. But each of these minutes matter, man. You know, we're not talking about rookie years anymore. Whatever we can get from Steph, whatever we can get from Draymond, every single second that we can squeeze out of their career matters at this stage. You know where we didn't waste those sessions now? On a ill-fated playoff run. Right now, as I speak, Steph and Draymond and Clay and the, all the other people we need are slowly allowing their bodies to rest and recover and come back for a year that I truly believe in. So there's long-term upsides. In fact, if you look at this and you're looking at long-term, this might have been best case. There's a chance, Maxime, because now they have the 14th pick in the draft that, you know, the good thing, I've always said that when bad things happen under Lacob, they occasionally turn good. Steph hurts his ankle. It turns into a lower contract that allowed them to bring in uh, Iguodala. Uh, They lose game seven. It allows them to bring in KD. There is a world where this loss to Memphis that resulted in the 14th pick wins us the lottery. We now have a 2.5% chance that we get the first pick in the draft. So there are upsides. 
but it, it, it left a hangover on me. Uh, there are times when I go out at night, see friends, and then wake up that next day and feel like my world's out of whack. Like I fucked up somehow. You know, I said something I shouldn't have. Mm. I did something I'm embarrassed of. Just something. And, and I just feel out of balance. Since that Friday's game, that's how I felt. I've just, I've just felt off and weird, and I'm positive that this podcast is going to help get through that and put us on the other side of it. But it's got to be acknowledged, you know. It, it's, it, was, it was a tough time is what it was, man. I, I haven't enjoyed the last few days. Yeah, I'm right there with you. But look, I, I also, you know, I, I, I want to end this on a positive note because I'm, I'm right there with you and I want to make it more acute. I think the odometer thing is totally true, but it's also that series against Utah. That's four to seven games that Steph did not need to play. That's four to seven opportunities for some weird freak situation where somebody steps into his space as he's shooting a three, twists his ankle, he's now out for however amount of time, right? Like the the reason that Steph was so excellent this year is because he had the longest offseason in NBA history um, to get his body in shape, to get his mind in shape, to get prepared. Now that's the same thing for him, for Draymond and Clay. Two other bits of things that I think are really important this whole experience was supposed to be not about winning a championship, but we heard from everybody top down, this is about an opportunity to see who has a place on the roster next year. And I don't think we needed another series against Utah to figure that out. Jordan Poole hit a big time shot. So we know he he can handle it in the postseason pressure. And quite frankly, Juan Toscano Anderson has been the darling of, in my mind, the entire NBA this year. And I think he proved that he could be the next Iguodala. I'm, I'm willing to say that now. I was reticent at first and talking about it with Wes, but I'm all the way in. I think he's got two-way potential, um, and I'm really, really excited about it. So we've got a core coming together. I don't think we needed more games to figure it out. So let's get that out there. Let's turn off the odometer. Let's get these guys rested up, and let's make a championship run next year. Are you accepting the Iguodala thing only because Wes gave you permission to? Because I remember before you kind of brought it up and you said, ah, I don't really believe in this. And then Wes went out of his way like, no, no, no. That's exactly on the money. You should definitely say that. We fast forward a week. Now you're all over it. Did you reach this conclusion on your own or are you standing on Wes's shoulders? Please, Bram, Wes is stick? standing on my shoulders. I said it and then that opened the door for him to say something. I mean, the only reason I'm asking is you have, I mean, and I'm sorry to say this, but you have kind of a nasty cheating history. And so I don't know. I mean, you who knows wow. if you took this answer from him? Um, so, you know, we'll let the listeners decide. We'll let them make the final determination. Maxime, let's uh, turn it over to Connor, bring in MT, and start really digging in to the bright future that is the Golden State Warriors. It is my great pleasure to announce that rejoining us after way too long, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors press conference, practice, shoot around the game. And a guy who is developing what seems to be far too close of a relationship with Maxime that I am kind of jealous of, Mr. Connor Letourneau. What's going on, Connor? And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Don't you want me getting close with everyone? Okay. We don't don't have to be the only friends on the pod. I thought so. That's exactly what I thought. And then we start this thing before we hit record. And you and Maxime, like, you know, you have the first couple of lines. It seems like you're close. And then the conversation keeps going. And then it's like 45 seconds. I still haven't said anything. Somewhere between like 40, 45 seconds, I started getting jealous, dude. It is what it is. I do want you to have a friendship, but it hurt my feelings. That's what kind of a sick bastard I am, Connor. But I tell you what, we have limited time and a lot of stuff to cover. And here's where I want to start. Off the court report. So the 
media just had what seemed to be a very large media availability session. You guys talked with Bob Myers. I saw some great quotes from Steve Kerr. So let me just ask you, generally speaking, after hearing from them, what's the vibe around the team right now? You know, after that frustrating Memphis loss, but now kind of heading towards a season we might be able to look forward to, what did you pick up? Um, <laughs> I, it was, the, my biggest takeaway from that availability was how they handled the James Wiseman questions, because that, that is the biggest question facing this franchise in the off season is what do you do with James Wiseman going forward? They're, they're at a, I think somewhat of an impasse, um, in that his timeline does not align with the timeline of Steph Curry and Draymond Green. And obviously the Steph Curry, Draymond Green timeline, and Clay Thompson, for that matter, timeline needs to be the priority. And so, if there was anything we learned this past season, it's that the Warriors need to do everything in their power to maximize what's left of those three guys' prime and return to contention as soon as possible. But James Wiseman's missing his entire offseason, recovering from knee surgery. His development's probably going to be delayed another year. I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be a bona fide starter for another year. And he is one of the few assets this team has. So if they want to make a big swing and go after like an all-star caliber guy, um, James Wiseman's almost definitely going to be need to need to be included in that package. And so understandably, Steve and, and Bob were asked about that. And Bob came out and flatly said, we don't want to trade James Wiseman. But, Anyone who was on that call and watched the way he said it, it didn't feel like a resolute 100%. There's no way we're trading James Wiseman. It felt like we aren't ex- expecting to trade him because there hasn't been a deal on the table. Uh, but I do, I do think if you read between the lines, you felt like there is a chance that, that James could be traded because he could have easily said, we're not going to trade him. Yep. He said, we don't want to trade him. And Bob Myers understands the importance of words and he under, he picks his words carefully. And I feel like it was just another subtle indication that James is not untradeable. And if there's a deal out there that can make this team better in the near term, they will consider trading James. Well, and let's also not forget that uh, his language was a lot more um, firm in whether or not we're going to trade D'Angelo Russell, and look what happened there. Well, he also, I, I listened through that. I think he learned from that. There was a moment when, I think it was either you or Wes, who asked uh, Bob Myers, do you want, next year, do you think that this team has the capacity to have some teenagers on it? And essentially what he was asking is, are they going to trade the draft pick, right? Because anybody they bring in with either the 14th or the 6th pick is going to be less than 20 years old. And Myers didn't give a straightforward answer. He, he kind of meandered around it. At one point, used the phrase optionality, which I had never heard. And, you know, far from saying, no, we are using this. We know exactly what we are doing. It sounds like they're entering this offseason with all options wide open, which I'm happy to hear. And I tell I you what, so, of course, all right, I, I've got a full episode I'm, I've been prepping for for a while. It's not today, but it will be in the next few days, a full possible James Wiseman trades episode 
that we're going to be putting into this mic. But I do have one for you that I was going to say for later, but let's just do it right now. So I put together this trade um, and what it assumes is that the Clipper collapse just continues, that they lose to Dallas. Let's say it's a gentleman sweep or sweep. And now the Clippers know that they are screwed. They have no future. Their first round picks are done. Chances are Kawhi and Paul George are not going to be long for playing with one another since they've had two nasty playoff exits. So if that happens, this trade works through NBA's trade machine. Andrew Wiggins, Wiseman, and the Minnesota pick for Paul George. And before I get your guys' opinions on it, I put it up on Twitter. We got some votes. And in the last 24 hours, after 2,100 votes, it is literally a 50-50 tie from everybody who came back in. So I'm going to throw it towards you first, Connor. Spoil the ending. If, if you were Bob Myers, would you make that trade? I would consider it, but probably not. Wow. Uh, I, I, I don't think that Paul George right now is that much better than Andrew Wiggins to the point where you would include um, to the point where you would include James Wiseman, who we know is not necessarily a great fit, but he it does have a ton of long-term upside and should have some value down the line. And then the, the top three protected pick from Minnesota. And the reality is we're, we're probably not going to be, they're probably not going to be making a deal until we know what that pick is. Of course. And so, and then we find out on June 22nd, um, whether or not that pick's going to convey the Warriors have over a 50% chance of it falling in the seven to eight range. Um, they have over a 70% chance of getting it this season, but they only have a 9.6% chance of it going at four. They have no chance at five. That's important because there's about five elite prospects in this draft. Oklahoma state's Kate Cunningham, USC's Evan Mobley, Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs, and Julie Ignite's Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga. Scotty Barnes. Uh, Scotty Barnes at six, baby. Well, there's still there's Scotty one Barnes could be the sixth pick. Scotty Barnes is, at six. There is a significant drop off from five to six. And and you know, once you get to six to ten range, they uh, you know, front offices are gonna disagree about who should be going. There's a wide range of prospects who could go in that range. I just don't think it's gonna have the same level of trade value. Um, but you know. Assuming it, it falls in that seven to eight range, which it very well could, um, you package that with Wiseman and, and Wiggins. That's a lot to give up. And and look, um, is Paul George better than than uh, Wiggins? Yes, but I'm not sure he's that much better than Wiggins. So I there's there's a, a necessary saying in law that all good deals leave everybody unhappy. Generally speaking, everybody gives up a little bit more than they want to, and they look back on it, and they don't walk away ecstatic. That seems to be the exact definition of this deal. So if this is me, and I'm Bob Myers, I don't say yes immediately. Absolutely not. But I also don't say no, and I don't immediately hang up. And it's because it hits on all the things we talked about before going into this, right? So somebody in response to the poll said what you said, that look, that Wiggins is already pretty good. A upgrade to George isn't that big. And then the response that that gentleman got was that sounds a lot like when Miami said, we already have Tyler hero. We do not need James Harden. I can see where they're coming from on that. The other side is if what we are saying, the reason I'd consider it, if what we are saying is Steph needs an ally now, 
And, you know, even if that means getting back a little bit less, Paul George might fit that exact definition. Um, so, you know, I, I don't I don't have an answer yet. I would want to see what the pick is and I would consider it long and hard, but I'm hedging towards yes. Connor, if I'm if I'm hearing right, you're hedging towards no or you would say no. I mean, the fact that it was, you know, it's a good trade scenario when I I really have to think about it to give a solid answer. Um, But I have mixed feelings, to be honest. Like I said, I I, I believe what I said in terms of uh, the fact that Paul George isn't so much better than than Wiggins that that you're necessarily necessarily want to give up, you know, Wiseman and the top three protected pick. But. I will say the Warriors are in a situation where they don't have a lot of options to get a difference maker, the caliber of, of, of a Paul George. Could Paul George put them over the top and uh, be what they need to, to, to be legitimate contenders? I think it's possible that he could be. Um, he, you know, he would slide into that role that Wiggins. He's basically just a better version of Wiggins in, in certain ways. I think he'd pair well with Clay Thompson. Um, uh, here, let me, let me distill it. Let me make it an easier question. Of, of of these possible packages, who helps the Warriors win a championship more next year? Wiggins and Wiseman or Paul George? So just George. next year. Paul okay. George. There you go. Yeah, and, and that's why that's why more I think about it, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe they, they would want to pull the trigger because I think that they might need to give up, quote unquote, too much to get the guy they want to help them in the near term. And look, you know, how old is Paul George? He's like 28. 30, he's 31. Oh, he's 31. And okay. Wiggins is only 26. I just looked that up. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And that's not so, a small difference, you know? No, th- that's, that's not a small difference. Um, but I think Paul George is still, you know, pushing the limits of his prime and, and, uh, and it, it, the focus really does need to be all about going all in on winning now and just putting all your chips at the center of the table and saying, screw what happens. Three, three to four years from now. Yep. Well, let's try to win next year and the following year. Um, for that reason alone, I would strongly consider that trade. I would even potentially pull the trigger. Um, that's honestly what it's going to need to take, I think. Yep. And props to you. That's probably the best potential trade scenario I've heard. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, the, the thing that's weird is, I mean, what we all, I mean, I've been doing this. We all keep saying Wiseman trades. We all keep saying bring in somebody right now who can help Steph, but there's never another half to that sentence. There's never, okay, let's get this person. And I think secretly we're all thinking people like, I don't know, like Zion or somebody, you know, like, and that's not what's going to happen. Those people are not available. As we speak right now, if the Clippers pull this out, if they, they come out of the nosedive, they get out of the series and then move on, Paul George won't be available. You know, so these are the kind of things that they're going to have to consider. Maxime, where are you on this? Yeah, I'm going to be the dissenting opinion here. I'm actually, you know, to your point, the fact that it's 50-50 on Twitter means that it's a good it's a good trade. Um, but I've got to sit here and listen, and I think there's there's a reason that they're in a nosedive right now. Paul George consistently has a um, reputation of not really showing up in the postseason. And while we didn't get much of an opportunity to see Wiggins in the postseason, and he's only had one um, round in the playoffs in his entire career— uh, there's at least a, there's at least the potential for him to show up, whereas Paul George consistently does not. And I think but, that coupled with 
Um, a lot of the locker room issues that you've been hearing around him and Kawhi sort of acting aloof, acting in their own category, not really engaging with the rest of the core, that doesn't bode well, man. And it no, takes but, more but than on, talent to on. actually... Take, take away Wiggins' time on Golden State. If we were just looking at his career while he was not here as a warrior, you would not have any faith in his locker room ability. You would not have any faith in his in his... Uh, chance to contribute in a playoff setting. It's because of our environment, right? And the culture here that we're suddenly really high on him. So, I mean, if if it catapulted Andrew, there's no reason it wouldn't also catapult George. Yeah, no, the thing is, is I mean, maybe they have similar tendencies. I feel like Andrew Wiggins is at least not a net negative, right? He's sort of like a passive dude that that is sort of willing to adopt any sort of ecosystem. And while Paul, Paul George seems like a nice guy, some of that behavior, especially the difference between being 26 and 31 in terms of how you're set in your ways, Paul George has the potential to just be too infungible at this point, you know, unable to actually adapt to a different environment um, and could actually cause locker room problems. He's enough of a star to not no necessarily want to switch. Right. In an ideal, and in an ideal world, they don't get rid of Wiggins. Um, I, I really like Wiggins. I like his fit on this team, both on the court and culturally. Um, I, I know that when we talk about these big trades, everyone talks about including Wiggins because he's the most logical big contract to include and the money. Uh, yep. And I, I, I get that you got to match salaries. You're deep in the luxury tax, all those things in an ideal world, they're able to orchestrate a complex sign and trade with Ubre. That's plan a that plan a is you use Ubre as the big contract, not Wiggins. Would you sign? I mean, be oh, let's let's play that out. In order to do that, we'd need about a twenty-eight million dollar contract. If I'm the Clips, I don't know if that's who I want back. You know, if with Wiggins at least, because Golden State has rehabbed his image and he's twenty-six, you can sell to L.A. Look, we're giving you a first rounder. We're giving you a future, is what we're giving you. You know, here's here's a a young swing man to take Paul George's spot. Here's a young big man who hasn't even come close to his ceiling. And oh, by the way, here's a six pick in a loaded draft. You can turn yourself around. If if I'm the Clips and it's Ubre on the other end of that hook, I'm not sure I'm going after the bait as quickly, you know. And and again, who knows if this actually happens? But it, it certainly has my attention, and I am now a huge Dallas Mavericks fan. Um, let's put it that way. All right, I I've got a couple of Warriors Oracle questions here for you, and we went a little bit longer on that trade scenario, so I'll try to pare it down to the ones that matter. Connor, you've done. Where's Oracle with us in the past? Really, this is just a mailbag, but we've got a couple of personal ones. And what these questions are all focusing on is this roster, right? So we are entering into one of the biggest off-seasons of all time for Golden State. There's a lot of questions. We're going to be doing a lot of off-season stuff. But for today's uh, purposes, outside of that conversation we just had, we're going to look at the people who are already here and then spend future episodes looking at uh, who they can bring in. And here's a giant one, and I'm going to throw it towards you, Connor. This person writes in and says, there are, or there were a number of feel-good stories and possible upside players on the Warriors this year, but next year they will need real contributions from the entire roster if they want to get back into title contention. Do you think these players can perform in a playoff setting? And then they give me three. So I'm going to run these names by you guys. Tell me, first immediate thought, do you think they can be a real contributor in the playoffs? First name, JTA, Juan Descano-Anderson. What do you think? 100%. Yes. 
Why? Uh, he has all the intangibles. Um, he played his best in high stakes moments. I thought he was he was pretty darn good uh, in their biggest games this season, including the play-in tournament games. Um, he sees the floor so well. He's such a natural feel for the game, and he he subsists on emotion and energy. And so, as long as he can rein that in when it when it matters, and not go a little bit overboard, which I, I think he can handle, um, he'll be a high level player that they can depend on for not just minutes in the playoffs, but I think 25 plus minutes per game in the playoffs. He, to me, is a top eight rotation player for a winning team. Uh, I would, I would not have any problem if he was the Warriors seventh man next season. He's that good. Same question, different player, Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole. Um, I have a, I have a few more reservations about than, uh, than JTA. Um, Jordan can be kind of inconsistent and he's a little streaky and he hasn't proven that he can be super helpful when his shot's not going in. Whereas JTA, even if his shot's not falling, he's still a plus in a lot of regards. Uh, that being said though, Jordan was big time in some big games this season. And he was one of their best players in that elimination game against the Grizzlies Had 19 points on efficient shooting coming off the bench. Um, I think you learn a lot about young guys in term when when they can play big in big games and he he stepped up to the moment so i'm leaning toward believing he you can play him meaningful minutes uh in a in a playoff game and feel comfortable i'm not say, saying you want to rely too heavily on him but i think you can definitely play him in, in a rotation role in that setting for sure I feel like as a Warriors fan, my relationship with Jordan Poole really progressed this year. You take me back to the first five or six games. Every time he had the ball, I'm nervous. Every time he shot the ball, I'm pissy, right? You fast forward, he comes back from the G League. And even those first spurt of success, I'm not positive of it. I'm a a little hesitant to accept that he's turned it around. We're talking now after this full season. I am confident, you know, I don't want to start the man, but if he's coming off the bench, given a six man minutes as a, as an agitator, as a scorer, Yeah, dude, I definitely believe in him. Let me give you one last name and Maxime, give me your answer to start off. Kelly Oubre. Do you trust him in the playoffs? If he signs and stays, I mean, I haven't seen enough of him to really know that. Um, but I think he's, I, I just haven't really gotten enough from him. Um, positive to feel like he's going to fit within the rotation overall. I think that he ends up, I mean, you can just look at his plus minus score um, for the season, which I know is not a perfect indication, but it's more in the minus column than it is in the plus column. And I think he's going to clutter things up more than he's going to actually add value. I, I, I don't, I don't even think he has a role, like a serious role in this team hmm. uh, beyond just being a trade ship. I mean, why not, not just playoffs, but, next season period uh they were significantly worse with him on the floor than when he was on the bench there's a reason why Kent Bazemore started over him after he came back from that first wrist injury yes Kent Bazemore averaged less than half as many points as as Kelly Oubre but he got his points within the flow of the offense he understood how to complement Steph and he was better defensively um and so I think that Uber is vastly overrated. Um, I think the talk about him getting a $15 million contract this summer is absurd. I think he's going to probably get closer to the $10 million range. I think teams are smart enough to know that he's kind of an empty stats guy. There's a reason why teams have gotten better when he's left them. Sure. There's a reason why he's been a minus player every single season in his NBA career. Um, the, the Suns 
he has a career year with the Suns last season, puts up the best numbers by far of his career, and then they they trade him, and suddenly they take off. They're one of the best teams in the league. Yes, it helps that they got Chris Paul, but I also think it was somewhat addition by subtraction. Who do you think would be more valuable in a playoff series, Chris Paul or Cliff Paul, since Cliff Paul probably wouldn't get hurt? Uh, don't answer that. Instead, I got to get something off my mind. I've been distracted. So I'm going back to Paul George of only for a second. And Maxime, you said that one of the reasons you're worried, one of the rationales for the voice of dissent is that at this stage of his career, George would be pretty much set in his ways. We know what he can do and he wouldn't necessarily change. I disagree, man. You know, uh, in this setting, if it happens, if L.A. completely craters, and now George has been sent out of Indiana, he's been sent out of OKC, he was supposed to create a super pairing in the Clippers and then failed spectacularly, if that's his recent past, then when he comes here, he will be down to do what. Ever. They tell him to stand in the corner and shoot threes. He will. They tell him to be actively engaged on the defensive end. He will. So I, I believe that his role can expand um, back to the Warriors Oracle stuff over under. I'm going to throw this towards you, Connor Steph points per game next year, 29.5 this year. He had 32. Ooh, Ooh that's a good question. Um, they want it below 30. They want it below 30 because if he has to if he has to be around the 32 range again, it means he's not getting enough support. Um, you know, this team will be at its best if he's averaging closer to like 29, uh, 28 to 29 points per game. That being said, he's so, he's 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 going to be better next season. And uh, he's he's continuing to hit the heart of his prime. He's continuing to peak. And so. I think that he can get 30 points just falling out of the bed. And so I'm going to say he still averages around 30. I'm going to say it's a a smidge north of 29.5. He averages around 30, but they don't want him averaging 32 again because that that will not bode well for what the rest of their supporting cast is doing. I will literally just say ditto. I agree with that take across the board. I've got some James Wiseman over-unders for you, but first let's get to the invasive personal question. Um, And I know we're running short on time, so I'll make it fast. But this gentleman wants to know what our most awkward moment was on public transit. So I don't know if you have one, Connor. So I will go first just to give you a little bit of time to maybe come up with one. I used to be a BART guy, dude. I took BART everywhere before I realized how much I hated it and found the ferry. And I had a bunch of nasty experiences on BART. But at one point I was sitting there, you know, everyone's looking down into their phone, desperately trying not to make eye contact, just get through their day. And what I can only imagine was a homeless gentleman got on. I think we were at West Oakland. And he immediately gets the entire train's attention. I mean, screams out and he says, if somebody does not give me $20 right now, I am going to shit this train. And, and I can only imagine he was, he was literally going to pull down his pants and crap in the middle of the, uh, of the car. I, everybody else ignored him. I immediately gave him $20, dude. Like I, I, no one's ever given $20 to somebody faster. It was a really well-spent dub because he did not crap right there. And it was awkward. It was awkward as hell for everybody. So I, that's my response there, man. It ever had anything nasty happen on public transit? Uh, I, I wasn't going to say the story, but then given the nature of your story, I feel comfortable <laughs> saying it. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is my senior year of college. I, uh, my sister lived, I went to university of Maryland. My sister lived about 20 minutes away from the campus and I used to stay 
the night at her apartment before my internship because she lived closer to my my internship and so i wake up at her apartment i gotta i gotta take the bus to my internship i leave her apartment about to wait for this bus i immediately realize i desperately need to go to the restroom (laughs) i there's no there's literally nowhere to go to the restroom in her building i had locked the door behind me there was nowhere to go so i'm like okay i just need to hold it until i get to my internship uh the bus comes it gets so bad that i literally can barely stand uh i think i'm about to pass out uh and you know relieve myself um on this bus and to the point where i was seriously about to pass out i actually went up to an older woman uh probably a grandmother and and asked her if i could take her seat because i was literally passing out (laughs) and everyone looked at me like why did you pick the old lady why did you pick anybody other than the old lady i i was in such discomfort that i looked at the first person next to me i was like (laughs) i need to sit there and it was i was being so judged so harshly and i was in such discomfort that i literally just was coming to terms with the fact that this that i was going to pass out and relieve myself on this bus and it was going to be the worst experience ever finally i ended up I ended up uh, making it. I actually made it to my internship. I walk into the bathroom. It's a one-stall bathroom, and it's being used. And I wanted to, like, scream. (laughs) It was the old lady Uh, from the bus? Actually, I ended up making it, though. But I was in such physical discomfort from holding it in for way too long and going against human biology by trying to hold it in that long that I literally had to leave my internship early because I was in such pain (laughs) that I could not work that day. I love that story so much. All right. One good turn deserves another. I have another one that I was not going to tell. I thought I'd get out of this with just the bum shit in the train story, but I'll, I'll tell you one that's more embarrassing for me. Right. So you remember the 30 for thirties, the, uh, the ESPN sports documentaries. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I got huge into those and there was one called once brothers and it looked at the relationship between Drazen Petrovic and Vladi Divac. I guess like they both grew up in Eastern Europe. They were hella close. Then the, the countries that they're respectively from got into political drama. And because of the politics, these two close friends, these brothers stopped talking with one another. And while they're not talking, Drazen gets into a car accident and dies, right? And so now Vladi is stuck with all the resentment, all the things he wished he had said. And so at the end of this documentary, he goes back to Eastern Europe and he goes to Drazen Petrovich's his parents' house. And he's in like this hovel and he's talking to them and he tells them, I'm sorry. And he, he opens up to Drazen's parents. Well, I'm watching this, Connor, on BART and I start sobbing, dude. I think I said something along the lines of like, Vlad, you beautiful son of a bitch and then i slowly realize i'm looking around i'm on public transit everybody i'm not only crying but i'm crying while watching a sports documentary so yes people were a little put off and it was embarrassing although to my credit i didn't punk any old women you know like even though it was tough for me i didn't try to throw anyone out of their seat that's uh that's an incredible story i i never (laughs) thought i'd feel comfortable sharing that story publicly but you know you bring it out of me so it's i have my moments last questions and they're all over under so we'll go quick hits all right these all have to do with james wiseman they all look at next year except for the last one here's our first over under minutes 25 um under um i think i think if he's on the team next season i think 
he's going to be on a minutes restriction all next season. From what I've been hearing, oh. it's a good chance he's going to miss the start of next season. Um, and, you know, he's going to have missed the entire offseason, so he's going to need a long time to get his his conditioning back. And I think, I think if they keep him next season, they need to just take all the pressure off of him, come out immediately and say, he's our backup center to Kwon Looney. And he is not going to play more than 20 minutes a night. And he'll probably be more in the 15 minute a night. Right. He handle, I'm, I'm going to ditch these other questions and use your wise men knowledge because you have spent more time with this gentleman, researching this gentleman, looking into his past than anybody else I know. So let me ask you this. Can he handle that mentally? I mean, I, I know how hard he is on himself from your pieces and from watching him. So can he, if the Warriors come to him and say, I know you're the second pick. I know we were featuring you last year before you got hurt. Now you're behind Loon. Can he handle that, do you think? I think I think he can handle it. It felt like he did better this season when they took the pressure off of him. Um, you know, when they moved to the bench role, to that bench role, he played some of his better basketball. Sure. Um, so I think I think he can handle it as long as the Warriors go about it the right way. I think part of why he was so hard on himself this season is because he unintentionally was getting a lot of pressure from the organization. They were, they overhyped him too soon. They, and then the messaging was so mixed. It was a very confusing year for him. I think, I think if the warriors can learn from that experience and handle his development better, he'll, he'll be in a position to succeed long-term doesn't change the fact that I don't think his timeline aligns with what the Warriors need it to, right. to line with. But um, in terms of his long-term outlook, if he does stay with the franchise, I think they can make it work. Connor, you were awesome. I appreciate you. I know everybody appreciates you. For people who need more Letourneau in their life, where do they go? Follow me at uh, con underscore cron and read all my stuff at SF Chronicle. Just a little, uh, a little, note for all your listeners i will be expanding my scope uh this off season beyond the warriors so i'm going to be having a lot of enterprise and long longer form pieces on other topics uh but i will be hitting i will be hitting the big notes you know the the draft the draft lottery free agency on the warriors i just won't be writing about them on a day-to-day basis uh for a while Check this out, you guys. I hope I have proven to you that I do not say things into this mic I do not believe. I'm you know, remarkably embarrassed at most of the things I say on an almost weekly basis. So you know I'm honest when I tell you this. Connor will be fucking great at that. He is built for it. We already know the details he's able to pull out in the Warriors beat. If he takes that intelligence and that scope to a larger media, it's going to be to all of our benefit for us. You know how to reach us, man. If uh, you have any questions for the Warriors, oracle you want to let me know that i'm crazy good bad whatever the hell you want to agree with maxime or let mt know he should have showed up today write us an email at warriorshuddle at gmail.com and our social media presence is only on twitter at warriors huddle with that in mind go warriors hopefully we'll see you next week Good, good.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.